I have to confess that, I, that I've been, after reading and studying for a long time, this large and expansive uh, prophetic lessons, eschatology, you can really get bogged down in, in it. In fact, I even kind of wondered if anyone would care about prophecy. Uh, there's so many theories and scriptures and things to learn. There's a timeline that I hope I can get to tonight and just present to you maybe a small timeline. Because I do know that grace and second chances, uh, perhaps the prosperity sermons are much more inviting. They garnish a lot more interest than the end time prophecy. And I'll tell you, you know, I'm so grateful the Lord gives me a word to preach I'm glad I could preach about the name. Call the name. And I'm excited about the words, but there are times when I have to um, dive into the deep end of the pool. So really what we're doing here is I'm, I'm trying to plod carefully so that we would fully grasp uh, the scripture. Now, I say that with some hesitation because I do know I have seasoned saints that are in this room and you already know some of this information. But if, if you do, would you just act like you've heard it for the first time and that will make me happy and make every, everyone else comfortable? I will say that, that, that the Lord has provided a little bit of a of a of a opener for me and i and i'm giving some pause for prayer for the many people in fact today 10 million people are under the hurricane watch or are related to the hurricane watch 10 million people it will as the hours now quickly tick by um affect three different states and they said it's going to hover and that's going to dump a lot of water. There's going to be flash floods. People have been warned to leave. There were some, there were some folks that were a little bit aggravated, some consternation when the 10 Walmarts closed. But as we've discovered in South Carolina... Don't worry if the Walmart closes. What they say is, you know it's bad if Waffle House closes down. That's what they said. So, um, uh, it's a very interesting thing, this hurricane. Now, just a word to the wise, if you, if you must, go ahead and do it. If you need to go to Florida for a vacation in the summer, that's fine. Just so you know, perennially. Um, hurricane season in Florida is between August the 20th and October the 20th, just so you know. So if you're making plans to go before August the 20th, you might get rained out. Some people just, they don't check the weather. They just think that it's always sunny in Florida. And there's a few of you folks who've gotten down there and you stayed in your hotel 
for five days in a row because it rained you out. Just, I just want you to know, that's when the hurricanes and the season happens. And if you don't know that there's other things that happen too. Oklahoma has tornadoes. And there's seasons for those too. So if you would like to visit Oklahoma <laughs> and Kansas, you might check when those tornadoes most frequently come by. This is a... This prophetic world is... It, 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 you know, it has some constraints to it. I, I feel a little bit like a conspiracy theorist. Um, there are some gloom and doom preachers that live on this. And I... Of course, sometimes, you know, that guy, you see him strapped around his neck is a sign that says the end is near. He's pacing back and forth. And people just trying to eke out a living. And some of you are, are like us. You know, you're trying to get your house in order and your laundry done. And I don't know what you do, but we have laundry parties in our house. And uh, uh, it's not a real party. For the kids, but I'll tell you what, it's a, it's, it's a party for us. And, and we fold. Some folks are trying to resolve family disputes and make a living and finish a house project. So, wow, now you're coming to Wednesday night and the pastor is talking about eschatology. It's a big word, the prophetic word of God, and how can we understand it? Does it really matter? Let me give you just... A few differences between prophecy and predictions just to begin with and we'll walk down this path of prophecy and predictions just so you know there is a clear difference between the two. Prophecy and prediction. Prophecies uh, can be a number of things but in all they're unrevealed events that are presently occurring. So that's called forth telling, F O R T H telling, forth. <coughs> so just so you know, prophecy is always, it's not always about telling the future. Sometimes prophecy is about what's happening right now. The second thing is prophecy can be future events that have yet to occur. And that would, that would be called foretelling, F-O-R-E, foretelling. Yeah, four. Have you ever played golf and yelled four? Have you ever heard four? If you ever are on a golf course and you hear someone yell four, it means duck your head and hold your head because someone has hit their golf ball in your direction and they're trying to warn you. They're foretelling you. So instead of saying foretelling, they just yell four. And that means you're in danger of getting hit with their golf ball. If you, if you yell four all the time, you probably don't need to be playing golf. Or no one else needs to be on the course while you're there. Number three, prophecy. These prophetic things are not figurative, but literal. Prophecies are not figurative, but they're literal. It's not superficial or... A, or a kind of mystical, these, these are literal things. And finally, eventual, eventually come to pass or are revealed as true. They eventually come to pass or they are revealed to be true. Proven. So a prophecy is not a prophecy unless it comes to pass. 
Now, prediction is similar to prophecy. But, of course, as I wrote in your handout, not necessarily rooted in spiritual terms. There's predictions. There's a prediction of sporting events and, and, and markets. Um, the, the stock market has a, has a market called the futures market where people predict what's going to happen. They invest based upon predictions. Um, so predictions are a little different. They're based on history. They're based on history. Number two, they're made via or by way of an understanding of the human pattern. We can do this prediction thing. Uh, my very good friend, Dr. Larry Keston, was with us at our at a, at a celebration, the birthday party last year. And, and he is a radiation oncologist. And uh, he has an incredible... 80 plus 90 percentile sometimes success rate of of uh, curing people of lung cancer but the but anyone who smokes has a massive 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 increase in the in in the possibility of cancer lung cancer and other other cancers and that's why it's a it's a tough habit to to get rid of because there are other agents inside of the nicot- with the nicotine that, that keeps people addicted. It's not just the tobacco. Um, that's a, the human pattern. You, can, you, can, you understand the human pattern. Driving 100 miles an hour to Meyer, um, eventually you will get a speeding ticket. The human pattern. Uh, n- number three, foreseen probabilities. It's likely based on the odds. Probabilities. Probabilities are happen all the time. That's probable. If you if you are in constant fighting with your spouse, the, there's a probability factor there. Some bad things are going to happen. If you spend more money than you bring in, and you the probability is that you're going to have more month at the end of your money. This is probabilities. These are predictions. I can make a pretty good prediction based upon what you're doing. If every year I see you buy a new car, but you don't have a job, the probability is you've been taken out of the offering pan instead of putting things in, or something like that. Um, and finally, number four is an educated guess. Predictions are an educated guess. Predictions are not prophecies. Predictions are not prophecies. But a prophecy holds in it a prediction, but it is true. So just remember that there are two different things. And as Winston Churchill once said, a, a, a clock that doesn't work is right twice a day. And so there's a lot of people who make predictions, but they're not, they're not prophets. They're not, they're not speaking prophecies. They're not of God. Some of those people who call them prophets are actually very good at understanding the human pattern. They can read people's face. Sales folks, they know the demeanor. They, they look at everything from uh, the way that a, a person might carry themselves to a fingernail to, to, uh, to their language skills, those kind of things. And they'll make predictions based upon the smallest um, fraction of information. But those are not prophecies. So what would constitute the prophet? First of all, the Bible says no man should call himself a prophet. 
Prophets don't, denou- don't declare themselves. Anyone who walks around and tells you that they're a prophet, they're not. That's the first indication you know they're not a prophet. If they walk around telling you they're a prophetess or a prophet, that's the first way to say, to know they're not. Except you have to understand the difference between a prophet and a prophet slash preacher. This is a little interesting. I didn't want to get too far down in this. So we'll just do the measure of a prophet. We'll go from there. Now, we're not, we're not handling the gift of prophecy, which people could have the gift of prophecy and be used in the gift of prophecy, but not be a prophet. But a prophet is always used in the gift of prophecy because a prophet is a, uh, is a position. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Those are calling of positions of the fivefold ministry. So... Any of those fivefold ministry could have the gift of prophecy. Any of the members of the church who have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, who's been born again of the water and spirit, according to Paul, should desire these spiritual gifts and can have the gift of prophecy also. You can have the gift of prophecy. You might have the gift of prophecy. But we're not talking about the gift of prophecy necessarily. We're talking about the measure of a prophet. So here we are. First, a prophet may also be a preacher. And, and I put, a, because he is a preacher, but he also may be a preacher. Prophesying is both foretelling, foretelling, but it also pertains to preaching. It's not always about saying something that is yet to come. Preaching is prophesying. In fact, if you look in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, they were prophesying. Um, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples, he said, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said, we've not heard whether there be the Holy Ghost. He said, how were you baptized? He said, well, we were baptized in John's baptism. He said, well, John verily baptized unto the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that you should believe on him which should come after him, that's on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them. And then here's the next verse. And they all spake with tongues and prophesied. And the number of the men were 12. So they were preaching what they were doing so they started to preach this is so prophecy or a prophet is a preacher also letter b jesus said of the measure of these prophets so we have the lord's words beware of false prophets here's a couple of things we know false prophets some are false prophets and they're known by their fruits or their works Are we doing good? How are we doing? All right. Letter C. A false prophet, and if you, and I didn't, probably didn't write it. So next to letter C, just put a false prophet. Is known also by a few other things. Here's Peter. I'm reading from the NIV. Beware there were also false prophets among the people, just as there were also false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many of them, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the, the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. So there are three things that attend to those three verses. And the first is heresies. So a false prophet brings heresies. Secondly, a false prophet is known by greed. This is, a, this is something that's, that's a great affliction to the world. It's, it's one of the reasons why 
the Christian community is struggling when, when, when televangelists get on the air and ask for $54 million for a new jet plane for the sake of the gospel. This is greed, ladies and gentlemen. This is not for the sake of the gospel. It's taking advantage of those that have little understanding. And I hope none of you are sending in your money to people who need or boast of a need of a new jet airplane. And finally, personal explanations. Let me just tell you, there, there are no personal revelations or personal stories that refute or can refute the Holy Scripture. The problem with this is that a lot of spiritual people, and this happens a lot in the charismatic, Pentecostal realm, where there are gifts, visions, dreams, people have these things and they relate them as if they are from God. They could be from God, but they might be from you. So before you walk around and tell someone you had a dream about them and that they, and this is what's going to happen to them, be very careful. Now, Rinda had a dream about me, told me today, Sister Rinda said I, that, I, that I was on a Harley Davidson accident. First of all, I'm excited about that because, because I, she lost me at the accident. She got me at the Harley Davidson. Praise the Lord. I accept the dream halfway. So we're praying against the accident and we're believing God for the first portion of the dream. Let it come true. So <laughs> it's, it's true. So we, he, the measure of the prophet is we got to be very careful about the measure of the prophet. Deuteronomy 13 speaks of false prophets which lead away from God and into idolatry. Idolatry. Anyone who leads people into idolatry is a false prophet. Anything that diverts their attention from God becomes idol worship. And finally, letter E, I call this the litmus test. It's proof. This is a very dangerous thing now. We've got to be very careful. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. He didn't, first of all, anyone who, anyone who tells you something that God didn't tell him, this is what God said, he's going to die. Furthermore, if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, this is how you're going to know. If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. If it doesn't come to pass, God didn't do it. Now you know they're a false prophet. And I think that if people had a little <clears throat> reverence and fear of God, they would not pronounce prophecies. As one man I heard say he was prophesying, and it didn't come to pass, and it didn't work. He said, well, I'm just kind of new at this thing. I'm practicing no one practices prophecy. No one ever practices prophesying. I, I, I was in the service where, where a young preacher decided he was going to do something like that, and he, he called out this, this man and he said, "You're having trouble with your wife. You're having struggles with your spouse. You're arguing at home, but God's going to save her." Is, am I right? Is that true? And the guy looked up and said, "I've never been married, but I hope maybe." 
was really bad. So, you know, maybe it's a prophecy of things to come. You have to have a wife first before you have an argument. This is, but the last portion of the verse, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Now, I didn't, I didn't go down this road, but the, but the, but the Old Testament also, they would, they would kill those prophets that were wrong. So guess how many people wanted to be a prophet? You either were true or you were, or you were false. And if you were false, you ought to be very careful because you would die if you prophesied something wrong. So before people walk around and say, I, I really feel something, I really feel this prophet, I've heard some people say some good things and then I've heard them say some wrong things. And obviously they're not in the scripture. Because I only have to hear them say one thing wrong and then I question whether or not they're in the spirit. Now, thank God, I know that they're not prophets, but they might be used of the Lord at some juncture and then used of their own flesh at another juncture. It just means that at some juncture, at some point, they're used in the gift of prophecy, but they're not prophets. Now, I've told you about prophets before. Prophets are not warm and cuddly. And no... Most people don't like prophets when they come to church. They make people feel uncomfortable. That's right. And, and it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very serious thing. But I do believe that prophets exist today. Apostles exist today. Prophets exist today. Pastors, evangelists, and teachers exist today. And all of them have equal share in the ministry. Amen. So... <laughs> My, my problem is I'm a, little, I'm a little spoiled, you see, because I got spoiled on a prophet, and I know what they look like, I know what they sound like. Tammy and I are putting on a, a conference many years ago for Brother Stark, and a lady called and said, I'm flying in, but I, I, I have a large basketball-type tumor inside of my abdomen. I can't stand up. I'm going to take a wheelchair from the airport to the car. If, if, if someone can just rip me a wheelchair, I'll pay him back. I want to come to the conference. Tammy went to the store, rented the wheelchair for the weekend, $65. We wheeled that lady in early before church, put her on the second row about where you're sitting. And Brother Stone King was preaching and, and he just kind of moved out and, and he went down to this lady and he grabbed her hand as she was sitting there praising the Lord and he lifted her up. It was like a pause in the, in the church service and I... And I'm watching this whole thing happen because I'm, I'm a little nervous for that woman. She's got this, this major tumor inside of her. And, and he lifted her up. And the moment he did, her dress fell flat against her abdomen. That tumor was instantly gone. She sang in the choir the rest of the, rest of the conference. On Monday, Tammy returned the wheelchair and said, we didn't use this. And the manager overheard it and came, out, came over and got real nervous. Well, you still have to pay the $65. She said, oh, that's okay. I don't mind paying. The reason why we didn't use it because the lady that had the tumor, she was healed. And then all of the staff came over and, and Tammy witnessed to all the staff. So I'm a little spoiled, see, because I saw that with my own eyes and I've heard the word of prophecy come out of his mouth. So I'm, a, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be around any fool. I ain't got time for fools. Either you're a prophet or you're not a prophet. Either you've got it or you don't have it. <laughs> yeah, see, he messed me up. I don't, I don't want to be around people who are practicing. In fact, 
In fact, it kind of leads me to the church. I don't want to be around people who are just playing church. I want to be around people who love God, who really love this way, who want to be saved. I'm going to reach for everybody, but I really, I'm really not praying just for a church full of people. I'm praying for people who are hungry for God and saying, Lord, I need you. I'm not praying for perfect people. New life is not a house for perfect people. It's just a place for people who really want God. I, I need you, Lord. It's okay to have issues and problems and be imperfect. We're all raising our hands. But please tell me we're going to be hungry and thirsty after righteousness. And we need the Lord in our life. Amen. So there's a couple reasons. In fact, I may not exhaust them, but let's just go through four reasons why we should seek prophecy. Why should we seek out the prophecy? Well, this is, a, this is very interesting because 10 million people are under the watch right now. They're under, they've been boarding up their homes and their businesses. Well, why do we want to know? Something's coming. Why do you want to know? Well, first reason is because you need to know. It's, it's knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why do we seek for it? Because we must know. You need to know. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We don't know the word and we don't know what's coming. We are destroyed. We are destroyed. It's why we're not giving up midweek services. Either it's cell groups or fellowship groups or Bible study, but we've got to have Bible study. You've got to have some Bible study time. And if you are destroyed, he rejects you. You'll be no priest to me, said, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of, the, of thy God. I'll also forget thy children. As they were increased, they gained more, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory to shame. The more people have, the less they seek for God. It is the fact. It is the truth. Our missionary to Germany is struggling because Germany is a well-adjusted, monetarily wealthy country. They don't need God. It's not the same as the Philippines when they have nothing. It's not the same in Uganda. It's not the same. Those people in India that have nothing and they're struggling, they need something. But Germans don't need anything. So when our missionary came here last year and he spoke to us, it might have been two years ago, this is a great battle because when you have need of nothing, you don't seek God. That's true of our lives too. When you have a problem, you'll seek God. When you don't have a problem, it's a little bit harder. That's why sometimes I don't pray that God would get you out of your problem. I'm excited that you're, you're finally searching for God. I'm crying and praying. You're praying God would get you out. I'm praying God would teach you something and keep you in there as long as you need to learn the lesson. Now you don't want me to pray for you anymore, do you? Don't pray that prayer. Number two is to prepare. Sandbags and waters. We got to get ready. There's a storm coming. There's a, there's a hurricane coming. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man. He builds his house upon a rock. Ladies and gentlemen, this may not be fancy. It may not be. It, 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 it's, not, it's not the evangelistic mood or mode that I'm in. Build a wise, build a house as a wise person on a rock. The attributes are pretty simple. Consistency, faithfulness, commitment. It's very simple. Prayer, your Bible reading, your church attendance, 
and your offerings. It's very simplistic. It's not, it's not difficult, but because we have so many distractions, it's very, it, 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 our lives get convoluted with things and, and we're not building a, a solid foundation. It's a solid foundation. All right. Number three. The other reason we seek prophecy is to call others or to help other people. It's, it's to reach folks. Because when you know something's going on, something's about to happen, you call them, you reach them. This is Ezekiel, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them what? Warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you're going to die and you don't warn him or speak to him. You don't try to dissuade him from the evil ways. He'll die, but the blood will be on your hands. Verse 19, but if you do warn the man, he turns away. He'll die, but you have saved yourself. Can you imagine if we, if we lived like that, that it was our responsibility? There's a reason why I preached the silver cup of the unsinkable Molly Brown. It's because we have, we have an obligation to present our lives as a vessel to help other people. If you were helped... No matter what stage you are in, you have to help someone else. Trust me, someone is lower than wherever you think you are. As low as you are, someone's lower than that. You might be in great need. Someone else is in great need, even greater. Don't don't look at someone and judge them and think that they don't want what you have because they've got it all together. Chances are they don't have it all together. And in fact, if they don't have the Holy Ghost, they don't have anything together. If they don't know the Lord, they don't have anything together. If they, if they haven't heard the baptism of Jesus' name, they, haven't heard, they need to seek for the Holy Ghost. Seek for it. And all of you who are seeking for the Holy Ghost, let me tell you, you're doing the right thing. You're doing exactly what they did in the book of Acts. They sought for the Holy Ghost. You're in the right path. Number four, it's refocus. And I won't read the whole scripture, but you can do it at home. You lay aside sin. I don't think this is rocket science, but you lay aside sin. You grow in the Lord. This is 1 Peter 1 through 25. You build. You're building up your faith. Letter D, recognizing who you are. You recognize it, your purpose in life. That's what Isaiah said to Hezekiah. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. It's a refocus. It's incredible how people change the older they get and the, and the, and the, more devastating the disease becomes. I've heard more people ask for forgiveness and forgive people when they were very sick than I ever had when people were very healthy. I think that's pretty wise. I don't think that's a bad idea, except we should be all we should live in, in, a, in a moment, a spirit of forgive, forgiving. But if you know that you're not doing well, set your house in order, ladies and gentlemen. Also, if you think the Lord is going to come back, set your house in order. If I told you right now that, that the Lord was going to come back on January the 1st, and you had just from now until January the 1st to get your house in order, what would you do differently than you're doing right now? Now I'm going to say, everybody ought to be doing something differently. Everybody ought to be changing their, their life, their mode, their operation. You probably wouldn't be watching what you're watching. You may not be, you might even quit Facebook. Huh. 
You know every given opportunity. I got to make fun. So here we are, and, and, and these are the reasons, and we're doing something. So why should we know of the coming storm? And, and I, of course, I'm, I, I do think of, of this hurricane that's coming, but, but there is another storm. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. Well, the first is, of course, is knowledge that it exists. Here's the problem. People don't believe that the Lord is coming back. But I, I stand here to say it does exist. It will happen. It will happen. One of the problems is we become, become, we become desensitized, especially if you've grown up in the church and you were a little child, a little girl, a little boy in the church and you heard the preacher say that the Lord is coming back soon and it's been decades and he has not come back. Well, in the span of time of 6,000 years... You're at the very end of that time. And that 7,000 year is, is vastly approaching. We might even be off a little bit in our description of time. Both the Jewish and the Gregorian calendar may be off. In fact, I was doing some research recently about, about some missteps in both the Gregorian, the Gregorian calendar, which we espouse to, and the Jewish calendar, which is a little bit different. It has 360 days in the year. And we could be off, which means that if we are off, we're off by the number of days that we have lived in this earth, which of course means that there's more time that's passed than we have calculated. So we have, we have to realize that, that the knowledge of it allows us to understand that it exists that the Lord is returning, that prophecy is true, that it does exist. And the second thing we need to do is, is have preparation, just as any coming storm, and it's physical functions, physical actions. What are you doing physically? Maybe you change some of the way you live, some of the things you do. If you knew that the storm, a storm was coming, there'd be preparation of your physical house. I'm not just talking spiritual, I'm talking physical things that you would change in your life. Number three, there's a humanitarian endeavor. It's helping other people. It's a humanitarian effort. It's, it's innate inside of all of you to reach down and to stop and help someone. Yes. And finally, it's priorities, the arrangement of the most important things. One of the problems with the, with the American church today is that our priorities is out of sync. We don't have good priorities. We put a lot of things above attendance and a lot of things above prayer. We like, to re, re, we like to contain our prayer at our church services instead of our bedrooms and our kitchens and our homes. In the morning, almost every morning, we have devotion around our table before we get going in the day. And you know, they're not always lively. Can I, tell you, can I just admit that? They're not always... The kids are not always engaging. Sometimes they are. Sometimes we have to pull it out of them. Sometimes, you know, it's been a hard, it's a hard night. I don't know what, what they was doing. But we're reading a devotion. We're starting a day. And they're not perfect. They got a long way to go. We're trying to, I'm trying to help them. Not to be so much like their mother. It's just a joke. 
and, and, and I'm trying to pray with them. We're, Tammy's trying to guide them so they're not so much like their father. And, and this, why? Because those priorities are going to translate into their adult life and the decisions they make. It may not look like it's a lot, but it adds up to a tremendous belief system in God. Because I'm not going to be with them at every step of the way. And I'm not going to be able to judge everything that they see. And when they have to look up their research on the internet, I don't know what they're going to accidentally or purposely stumble upon. So what is my obligation? I'm going to plant the word of the Lord in their heart. It doesn't have to be deep, profound, or revelatory. It just has to be consistent and true. And it has to be the scripture. And when those elements happen, then they grow up to love God and love the things of God. And I don't raise my children so that the church would applaud me or I can keep my job. Because the input and the prayer and fasting that I have for my kids really doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with my responsibility towards God to raise them up as they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from that. Of course, the Jewish age of old is not 30 years old. It was 12. Of course, we know that because, because that was the time when a young Jewish boy could, could make up the amount of number that they needed to make up that synagogue. So they didn't start when they were teenagers. They started when they were 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. And at some juncture in this church, I want to talk to you about Ryan and Amanda Wallace's push for the Fort 14 window. The perpetuation of this church is not going to happen with you. It's going to happen with the children between the ages of 0 and 14 years old. If we're going to have a church next year or 10 years from now, it's because we're going to invest in the children of our church. That's right. Those are just the stats. That's just a basic truth, the fact. The fact of the matter is, we're enjoying ourselves here tonight, but if we're going to have a church in 10 years, we better be planting the Word of God in the hearts of 2-year-olds and 3-year-olds and 4-year-olds. If we want to have another 75 teenagers in the choir 10 years from now, we better be putting the Word of God in every 5- and 6-year-old so that when they reach that age, we don't suddenly wake up and say, well, we better, have a, we better get something going here. What's wrong with our youth group? The, what's wrong with the adults is they weren't young married serving God. The reason why the teenagers, the adult, young adults don't serve God is because they didn't when they were teenagers. And the reason why the teenagers are rebellious is because no one took time for them to say, you've got to love the Lord and we're going to show you the scripture when they were five. If you train them when they're two and three and four and five, they'll love God when they're 40, 50, 60, and 70. That's right. This is a fact. And it's our responsibility. This is my responsibility. So it leads me back to the priorities of my life. These are my priorities. My priority is I love God, I love my wife, and I love my kids. Pretty much in that order. <laughs> That's right. I might even, after that, might even say my dog. If I had a horse, I'd say my horse. I'd like to get one. I have a place to put it. You know, Wyndham don't, they don't allow horses, free-range chickens, or goats. I've asked. My HOA would not be happy. They keep messing with me. I'm going to get me a goat in the front yard. So, 
Your priorities of life. What are the priorities of your life? Someone tell me what your priorities are. Is it to go on another vacation? What's your priority? What's your priority with your money, your time, your energy, your passion, your life? Is your priority Sunday night football? God forbid that our priority is Sunday night football, that just people check out because now we got Sunday night football going on. God forbid that we're going to have to get up and fight against, again, Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl. God forbid that we have to fight against any sports league or any, any kind of, is your priority politics? Man, if your priority is politics, you're in trouble. That's like a tar baby. You put one hand in, you can't get out. You punch the other, you can't get out. And all of a sudden, everyone talks about it just politics. I wish, we, I wish the church would stop talking politics and start talking Jesus. I'll tell you what my politics are. They are the Bible. And, and when the politics invade the Bible, then they're on my turf. That's right. <laughs> I didn't go on their turf. Well, I didn't get a whole lot of response from that, but... but I'm just going to assume that you liked it. So there's a few things that we have to know. And these are the things that we have to know. So I'm going to take, we're going down through this line. I'm going to build through this process each week. I'm building, constructing something for us. And we're going to get into some, some details now. Now I'm going to present maybe a few macro views. I think I've got three. Do I have three macro? I've got three, maybe three macro views of Bible prophecy. The first big prophecy that I think that we should discuss, in fact, this is common among Bible believers, and that is the prophecy that Israel would become or becomes a nation. Now, I would like, if, if you ever hear the word state, Israel becomes a state, yes, it is a state. Also, you could even write above that sovereign. It's a sovereign nation or a sovereign state, much like the United States. So this is the reconstruction of Israel as a nation. But it was not just something that was done politically. In fact, this was scripture. So it's a prophetic word that has come to life. Ezekiel is a true prophet of God. He prophesies, I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it. The city shall be inhabited and the waste and the, and the wastes shall be builded. For I will take from among you the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your land. I'm going to take you from those countries and bring you into your land. I'm just giving you a small overview from 1881 all the way to the present time. But you can see there on your paper, the Jews were persecuted in Russia in the late 1800s. They moved to Palestine. And then in, in, in 1897, there's a convention that convened in Basel, Switzerland, and people started be, they started to talk about this Jewish state, this Israeli state. And then in the early 1900s, 32,000 more, these were Jews that were, that were persecuted and they moved from Russia. And then of course now we're entering to these wars, the world wars, and 78,000 Polish Jews are going to move. 230,000 Jews are going to be persecuted in Germany and Central Europe, but they're going to get out and they're going to move. But the devastating factor is that while so many were persecuted, 6 million were murdered. In 1948, Israel becomes a nation. That was on May 14th. And in 1967, there was, an, there was a, a movement to destroy Jerusalem and capture 
all of the main uh, military bases, but in that six-day war, Israel captured Jerusalem and the West Bank, and they, they won the six-day war. It was just over before it began. But since that time, there's been a massive movement. There's about 15 million Jewish people in the world today, and that's just by the most recent statistics and Roughly half of them live in the state or the nation of Israel. And this is the largest group. In fact, it, if you look back up your page in verse 24 of Ezekiel 36, this is exactly what's happening. Out of all the countries of the world, people are still returning to Israel. This is a prophetic time. Israel becomes a nation and people are going back to the homeland, even those who were never born there. If you read Ezekiel's prophecy, and I've, I've heard a lot of preachers preach about Ezekiel's prophecy, the valley of dry bones and the Lord asked the question Ezekiel can these bones live and Ezekiel turns to God and says well only you know Lord and then that's when the Lord said well prophesy or preach to the bones and so he's preaching to the bones and they come back together that scene is actually directly related to Israel becoming a nation again although it preaches well for revival and people who are dried up and folks that are not active in the church but but it really is a prophetic word to Israel. And Ezekiel is going to say in that vision, this is how we know exactly what, it's, what it means. In that vision, God is going to say, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. So we are just spread out. So this is, this is the... Very specific reason why we know that Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones pertains to the house of Israel, the nation of Israel coming back together. This is a massive movement. In fact, in 1948, it marked the beginning of the ending of time. Now that's very difficult for people to grasp. I wish I could show you as easy as the Doppler radar could show, the swirling waters of a Category 3, Category 4 hurricane, Florence. Just as that hurricane is plummeting to the East Coast and probably will make its landing sometime, Williamsburg or along those lines tomorrow evening, there is a coming devastation and end to this world that you are in right now. And it began in a prophetic way many years ago, but marking that time almost like the clock just started. There was many prophecies that happened before that, but the clock started in 1948 because God said, I'm going to put my name in Jerusalem. That's where I'm going to put my name. His name is there. That's the capital of the world. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. The capital of the world is Jerusalem. More people have fought over the capital than at any time and in any city in the whole world. A thousand people could die in China or in India. You barely even know the devastating flood that happened in India. Dr. Lolit and I have been talking about this for a few weeks. Houston is a speck. That flood that happened in Houston and all the United States rallied around it. It is a speck compared to the flood that happened in India. A hundred million people were affected by that one flood. Of course, there's 1.6 billion Indians in the world today. 
100 million, that would have been one-third of the United States in population. And they don't have bulldozers. They don't have modern conveniences. They don't have insurance. No one's coming with water. No one's helping them out. When the flood happened in India, it wiped them out. And they are digging out from the mud. Starvation, thirst, disease, devastation. And we don't know that. But two people or three people get shot in Tel Aviv or on the corners of Jerusalem. And it hits the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I'll tell you why. Because the focus of the world is Jerusalem. And when these Arab countries stop fighting one another, they're going to turn their attention to Israel. And they're going to have a common goal. And the enemy of my enemy is going to be my friend. And that's what's going to happen. The Bible tells us so. You are living in the last moments of time there is a storm coming yeah many prophecies in fact if i went through all the prophecies the messianic prophecies that have all been fulfilled incredible maybe just a couple that have not yet come come to pass but the prophecies of jesus made by david and by ezekiel by isaiah Thousands of years before he ever came to be. Incredible things that actually took place. Locations. Places. Actual events. How he would come. Birth order. All of that coming to pass. Unbelievable things that happened. And you and I sit here at the last. We are perhaps. I would say yes. The last generation before the Lord comes back. My children. I believe this. And I believe it of myself. And for, and for you. That the Lord will come back in our time. And it's hard for us to realize, wrap our minds around it. But I remember a preacher coming to our church and he preached about the rapture. And... He was liking that rapture to Noah and the ark. And we had a, we had a door kind of like that. Had more glass on it. He, pre, he took the cordless microphone. He went outside and closed the door. And he was using the microphone. But he was banging on the door. Let me in. Let me in. I was a real little kid. But scared the fire out of me. And I can, a few years later, you know what? I, I was home, I was washing the dishes for my mom. We had an attic fan. Anyone remember what an attic fan is? We didn't have an air conditioner. Mom and dad didn't get air conditioning until we moved out of the house. <clears throat> we were all gone before they finally got AC. It was, it was an awesome thing. Come back home, find a house cool. We used to open up the windows and turn the attic fan on. It would pull the air, shh, go outside in. And I was washing the dishes and the side door was open and a gust of wind pulled the door closed and that door closed so fast that it made a high-pitched sound like the sound of a trumpet. Boo! And it slammed. And I broke a dish right at the same time. I'll tell you what, I was just scared to death. Because I thought Jesus had come and I had missed the rapture. And I ran through the house crying, Mom, where are you? Mom, where are you? And I ran around the house, couldn't find her. Ran the church where Dad Pastor was just 
maybe 100 yards away, and I ran up to the church. And the sanctuary was empty. Lights are off. But Mom, where are you? I kept calling Mom. I like Dad and everything, but if Mom don't go, nobody goes. <laughs> Finally, I, f- I found them. They were having a committee meeting, and the tears were running down my face. I was, I was panicked because I thought that I had missed the rapture. And I'm very concerned today that people are not afraid to miss the rapture. Hear me. You ought to be very afraid that you would live a life that you would question whether or not you are going to make it. I don't want you to live in fear, but if you're living a life that you wonder, I'd rather you have some fear of missing the rapture than be complacent and really miss it when the day comes. This is what's happening here. We're, 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 we're at the close of time. And I offer this other, this other large macro prophecy. Joel, is, the second chapter is dedicated to what we learned as the day of the Lord or the Lord's day, the great day of the Lord. And there's a few things that attend to that. The restoration of the Jewish homeland. That's... That's also prophesied in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. The birth of the global church, which includes the Gentiles. I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's preaching. And then the events before. Everyone say before. And And I'll read it to you. It shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Verse 29. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out of my spirit. And I will show, verse 30. Here we go. Wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. And here's the key word. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Before, events before, what's going to happen before? A great awakening, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter was preaching about in Acts chapter 2. He quoted these exact words. He said, the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. He said, and I quote, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Speaking in tongues was a, was a prophecy by Joel and I... And if memory serves me right, it's separated by at least 700 years. The prophecy is seven centuries afterwards. This is that which Joel spoke about. I'll pour in my spirit upon all flesh. Before the last days of time, Joel said there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. That is a massive prophetic word. Macro 3, here's the, the next macro prophecy, the view of prophecy. It's apostasy. Apostasy. And the Greek word for it is called apostasia. Apostasia, apostasy. It's a falling away of apostasia. <laughs> apostasia is it's like a Walt Disney movie that never came about. Just notice that it happened several times. In the Old Testament, there was a falling away. And I, I've given you the corresponding scriptures. And, and of course, it ended in a great judgment of Syria. They were exiled, 722. They were exiled again. There was a lot of damage done to their lives. 
There was, a, there was a falling away. The early church had the same issue. It was another one. Paul saw men and women entering the church. He called them wolves. In fact, I didn't even put it down, ravenous wolves. Did you know that people could join the church and be a part of the church and not really part of the bride, but they're ravenous wolves? You always know a ravenous wolf because he or she is always trying to separate people from the shepherd. Anyone who's trying to she- separate you from me is a wolf. Yeah. Go back and hear the sermon called The Wedge. You'll get it. It's a wolf. They're not sparing the flock to draw people away from the church. Read it in Acts chapter 20. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him. He's talking about himself. From me that called you to the grace of Christ unto another gospel. There's not another gospel. There be, there be some that trouble you. They would pervert the gospel of Christ. Anyone who changes it, Paul said, would be cursed. Even an angel who changed what he preached would be accursed. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Read it in your Bible. And the, and the last falling away would be the falling away of the born-again believers. Can you imagine? The born-again believers. Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season. Out of season, reprove, rebuke, sort with all long suffering. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. They turn away. This is going to happen. In fact, it's going to happen to unbelievers. Verse 5, watch therefore in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, make, make full proof of thy ministry. That falling away of born again believers is... It's, it's intense. This is an intense thing. And so there's going to re- be a repeat of the early church conditions. Wolves. False doctrine. And, and let her be an intensity of affliction, anxiety, oppression, and spiritual warfare. That's what's facing us. And even, even in the Bible, the Lord said, If the days were not shortened, except the Lord shortened those days, no one would be saved. It's going to be an intense battle. Hear me. You're not going to be able to sit back in a, in a lazy boy recliner. Your barca lounger type Christianity is not going to work. You're going to have to get knee deep. You're going to have to get all the way in. I hope someone's hearing me tonight. You're going to have to get more committed than you've ever been committed before. Whatever you were doing last year, you've got to add your faith, more faith, more, more love, more passion, more purpose. Now is not the time to backslide. And you can backslide without leaving the church. It's just sliding backwards. Now is not the time to lose faith. Now is not the time to get a friend who deters you from the church or from the word, word, word of God. Now is not the time to associate with people. Here, pastor, that deters you or hurts your walk with God. Now is the time to get closer to the Lord. I'd rather lose friends or cut off people that I thought were my friends and get closer to God than appease them. And I say to the church, people... Love everybody, but don't let them pull you down. There's a reason why you don't have to put a lid on top of a bucket of crabs. Found that out. That was one of my dates. I flew down Louisiana. I said, where are we going, Tammy? Tammy Joe, where are we going? We were dating, engaged. She said, well, today we're going crabbing. We got some nasty meat. That little beautiful girl got some nasty meat. From the store, got some twine. We straddled the pipes over the bayous, tied the meat to the twine, hung it down. Crabs just jumped 
got on there, blue crabs. We got them back to the house and her, her dad boiled them and spicy made my eyes water. My eyes are watering just thinking about it. She brought an old cooler. One handle was broken. I said, I said, Tammy, we need a lid. Oh, we don't need a lid. All we need are two crabs. Sure enough, we had a bunch of crabs. One of them could have got out, but, but the moment that the guy almost got over the edge, one of them pulled him down. We'll pull him down. That's the kind of people you want to be around. You're never going to get out of where you are as long as you're around people who keep pulling you down. You want to make it to the rapture, you better attach yourself to someone who's going up and not pulling you down. Your friends in the church ought to be pulling you up, not pulling you down. That's right. Because otherwise, you could fall easily into apostasy. You don't know how quick that can happen. I'll tell you what you want. You want people that are full of faith. I want to be around somebody who knows how to pray. I want to be around someone who knows how to worship. I want to, I want to learn some new dance moves. I've been watching Franklin. I don't really care. I want to praise. I want to shout. I want to, I want to tell you what. I don't care what you think. I did not come here to entertain you. I came here to entertain the presence of the Lord. I've come here to get closer to God. You ought to say it to yourself. I'm going to be more devoted, more consecrated. I'm going to find somebody who's going to lift me up instead of pull me down. I want to read things that are going to lift me up instead of read things that are going to pull me down. I want to be engaged in the church and in the ministry. Whatever the ministry is. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to, be, than to be lauded and applauded in the tents in the houses of wickedness. Wouldn't it be better for you to stand at the door? I'd rather be out there with Billy Coachvar and his crew holding an umbrella than be standing in the courthouse being applauded on stages and having the adoration of the sports and celebrity figures and not know God. Yes, yes, yes. And here we are, we're, we're looking at this terrible thing that's going to happen. The born-again believers are going to fight spiritual warfare, and some of them are not going to make it. I hope that, that it's not you. I hope you make it through spiritual warfare. I hope you can hear what the pastor is saying, because I'm, I'm not really speaking of myself. I really believe I'm speaking what the Holy Ghost wants me to say. And I'm ending here now with some technical things, but I think we need to know it, because I, I'd like to draw a little bit for you. I love drawing my pictorial skills are really close to Picasso. So three main views of end time prophecy are amillennial, premillennial, and postmillennial. And those seem complex, but we'll break it down in a very simplistic view. And I'm sure I could exhaust them much more than this. But for the sake of time and for our understanding, the amillennial view, we do not believe this. But they believe uh, things a little differently. Here's a few things that attend to the amillennial view. They do not believe in a literal kingdom to come. They do not believe in a thousand years of reigning with Christ. They deny that Jesus will have a physical kingdom, but they do believe that his kingdom is a figurative or spiritual, spiritual kingdom. The premillennial view, this was, of course, Clement uh, probably began this, and it's been... It's been a, 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 probably the biblical thought. Uh, it, this teaches the second coming of Jesus Christ will occur before the millennial kingdom. We do believe that. 
I do believe that. And I'll show you this in, in, a, in, a, in just a little timeline here at the bottom. This premillennial view teaches that Christ will come at the end of a literal seven-year period of tribulation and that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Of course, there's scripture for that. And so that is what I would, I would uh, tend to gravitate towards, this premillennial view. There's a postmillennial view. Of course, that was kind of far-fetched to gain popularity in the 18th and 19th centuries. They thought that we, man, would bring God's return because of all of our advancements. It was almost a utopia-type view. Of course, it kind of died away at the World War I, and then it, it completely was devastated World War II. We found out that man doesn't bring utopia. We bring destruction. Okay. So here we go. I've never used this before, but we're going to see if it works. The multimedia guys are very tech savvy. So, are you ready for me, Brother Matt? Are you ready? Okay. So this is the bottom of your page. How did, how did it do? Oh, it's a line. It's phenomenal. It even is a straight line. Oh, that's bad. Hey. Okay. <laughs> this is so great. I want to I illustrate all my sermons from now on. This is creation. We're going to, we're going to, we're going, this won't be, you know, to scale. So, this is the Old Testament. And, and then we're going to put this in here. This is the birth Of Christ. How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, my handwriting is not, it's the pen. It's got to be the pen. These are the Gospels. This is the book of Acts. That's the church. The church did not begin until the book of Acts. So this would be the church. Age. The church age is going to end at what we believe is called the rapture. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the word catching away or to catch away, catch up or catch away, the rapture. about that there's my eraser okay 
Um, now I can fill a lot of things in here, but I, but I, 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 I want us just to kind of look at how this is unfolding. After the rapture, or somewhere in there, <laughs> there's, this, is, this is cause for some concern. Among the, among the, the ideas, if we, would, if we would say tonight that we are uh, premillennial, so our, our thoughts are premillennial, within that is when will people be raptured or when is the, when is the rapture of the church? So within that thought, there's, there's the pre-trib, um, there's the mid-tribulation, which means that people will be raptured, and then there's the post-tribulation. That means the church will be raptured at the end of the tribulation. So let's just talk a little bit about the tribulation period. Tribulation. The tribulation is a span of seven years. Um, and I'm, I've got to get my scriptures here. So this would be Daniel chapter 7 verse 8 uh, and chapters 9 through 26. This would last for 1260 days, which is three and a half years. So in the middle it would start. Um, this is seven years total, but three and a half years on this side, three and a half years on that side. The difference between that is in this portion, there's a great atrocity that takes place. This last part here, in that tribulation period over here, that's, that is persecution. So when we talk about tribulation, we're not talking about persecution for the entire time. Persecution, according to the scriptures, would last three and a half years, 1260 days, according to the scripture. Everybody still with me? Now the, now, the thing that happens in that period is what's happened over here. Um, let's see if I can use red. Okay, here is the first temple. Did that come up red? Hey, Matt Landon, you're a genius. This is Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple will be destroyed, and in that period of time... There's another temple. This is the second temple. The third temple, even though this temple will be knocked down, it's kind of remodeled. In the church age, it's actually remodeled. And then it, it is finally destroyed. So, I, I shouldn't say that. It's not in the church age. It's in the Gospels. So, let me get my eraser. Okay. Oh. This is really bothering me. It really does look Picasso-ish. It's kind of... All right. But there's a... There's a the temple... The third temple will be built in here. So this is the third temple... And the third temple is going to be built somewhere either on or close to the Dome of the Rock. There's, there's speculations as to where it will be built. When we went to 
the Temple Institute last year, I guess it was last year or the year before, the Temple Institute has been very much refined. They've, they've made all the utensils that will go into the third temple. The golden candlestick, the gold pots, the utensils, the table of showbread. All of that's been built ready to go into the third temple. We just have to decide on the location of the third temple. The third temple will actually be built and could actually build, be built sometime here at the end of the church age. Uh, some Jewish scholars, scholars uh, believe that this will be the time when the third temple will be built. But something's going to happen dreadful in this area right here. So in the middle of that, something very horrible happens. And that is called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation means that only the Jewish priest, the high priest, can make a sacrifice inside of this temple. But the Antichrist can go anywhere in the world except for that holy of holies. He can't go into the holy place. He can go into the outer court, um, uh, the courtyard of the Gentiles, but he cannot go into the holy place. He cannot enter the holy of holies. He's going to want to do that. In fact, he's going to kick out the high priest. He's going to make his own sacrifice. And when the Antichrist makes his own sacrifice, that begins the age of persecution in the middle of the tribulation. That right there is the abomination of desolation. Okay? Are we still all together? Everybody still understand where I'm at? So you're living right here in... You're living right here in the church age. We're right over here in the church age. Here's New Life Fellowship right there in the church age. You're up. You're that dot in the church age. And we're about to enter this last time. Now some people, down here at the bottom, the premillennial, pre-trib, mid-trib, some people believe that the church will go through the first portion of the tribulation to the halfway point. Some folks believe that we'll be raptured before it begins so that rapture of the church could be here or it could be here. I personally believe that we'll be raptured before the tribulation begins. We could actually be raptured before the third temple is being built or at the inception of it. My personal belief is that we will, we will be raptured before the tribulation. Um, one of our very good prophecy teachers believes that we're going to go through the tribulation. I, I don't tend to believe that way. I've, I've actually got some scriptures that I think would lend itself that we're going to be raptured before. But if you would like to stay, I'd like to go. Ultimately, we're all going to find out whether or not this is true. We're going to find out. And there's no, no one can tell for sure, except we have some scriptures that, would, that I believe would lend ourselves to being raptured before the tribulation begins. At the end of that tribulation, something else is going to happen. Now, uh, okay, Matt, how about a new page? Ha! This is so great. Because there are some other words that you'll hear. Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week is the tribulation period. That means he's got 69 weeks over here. And of course, we know... Um, uh, that those weeks began, uh, those weeks are, are, are seven years at, in time. So this is going to be a seven-year period. 
And so right there is going to be the mark where the desolation, there's an abomination of happening with the Antichrist. Can you imagine that the Antichrist could be alive today? The Antichrist could be, he could be preparing for the setup. So the rapture is going to take place somewhere in here. And then comes the second coming. So some people don't understand this, but the Lord's second coming, Jesus will come again. This rapture is the catching away of the bride. The dead in Christ rise first, and then we which are alive remain will rise with him. But then we will come back with the Lord at the second coming. That's at the, this point here. And at that point, then there's 1,000 years. The kingdom, we will rule and reign. That's the kingdom age. That's the kingdom age. Now there's a lot more to it, but I'm closing on time. So I want to be real careful before I... At, the kingdom age will then end, and then eternity will begin. Right here, it ends with what we know as the great white throne judgment. But at the rapture, the Lord is going to judge. Now there is some speculation when the Bible says, obey them to have the rule over you, watch for your souls. Because they're going to have to give an account for you. Pray they can do it with grief and not with joy. There's some speculation as to when that's going to happen. When are those men or women that God has set over your life going to have to give an account for you? When? It could be here when Jesus judges. It could be here at the great throne, the great white throne judgment. And most people would attend that is here. Okay. There you go. How are we doing? There's a quiz. There it is. Creation. The Old Testament, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Gospels and the church age, the end of that time, the tribulation period, the thousand years, and eternity. Okay. Amen. Next week, we're going, to, we're going to kind of break down a few of the things that I just talked about. There's a storm coming and we're going to be prepared. And everybody said amen. Stand with me now. Father, we pray that we would make our calling and election sure. That not only would our steps be ordered of you, but that we would seek you diligently and find you. 
We pray, Lord, that you would guide our families and our homes. Make, make this house, Lord, be your house of worship. Make our bodies the temple of your Holy Spirit. Let everything we do say, think about, touch, all of our ambitions and efforts be wrapped around the thought of you coming. We are looking for that blessed day. Our hope is in your appearing. Make us a holy church, a holy bride, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We are in pursuit of you, Lord. We know that we have not attained, but we are pressing forward for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, Christ Jesus. So I pray tonight for all the people, for our families and homes. Give us a vision, Lord, of your soon return. Give us a hunger to be saved and to save others. In Jesus' name I pray. And Everybody said amen. God love you. You are dismissed. Love one another.